Sounds good. Hey guys, welcome back to another week of the Two Guys on Politics podcast. I'm back this week. I'm producer Brian Broken. With me this week, I got. Uh, welcome, my fellow Americans. I'm Bill Lipinski, and this program is about news, views, and comments. And I'm Ray Hanania, and uh, we got a couple issues on our plate, right, guys? The first is the this issue of migrants being sent from uh, the southern and western states, which are mostly Republican, up into places like Chicago and Illinois, where they have uh, sanctuary policies. Um, and then the second uh, issue we'll talk about, right, is the polling on who's going to win the House and Senate on November 8th. Is there going to be a a shift in control and stuff like that. So, Bill, let's start with the migrant issue. Well, the migrant issue is a very interesting issue. First of all, the Biden administration has done absolutely nothing about immigration since they've come into office. Why is that? It's because the Democrats believe that all these people coming across the southern border, they can make citizens in a short time, they can get them registered, and they'll vote for Democratic candidates. The Republicans, they don't want to do anything about it because all these people come in. It'll be cheap labor for the big corporations. Uh, so they don't want to do anything about it. So we unfortunately have no immigration policy whatsoever. And you know how you become a legal immigrant? You come across the border, you turn yourself in to the border patrol. Uh, they arrest you. They register you, they give you a work permit, and then they tell you to come back in several months for your hearing on asylum. They don't ask you where you're going, how long you're going to be there, or anything like that. What do you think the return is on people coming back for that hearing? Now, the closest I could find was four years ago, when it was 61% came back. Wow. I been able to find anything later than four years ago. I wonder why that is. Could it be that it's increased so severely, you know, that the government doesn't want to tell us what it is? People that work in the immigrant community believe it is substantially lower than 60% nowadays. Well, when I problems with immigration. When I first heard about this whole issue a number of weeks ago, I thought, hey, that's a great plan. I'm going to go down to Cancun and I'm going to ask. I don't need a visa. I just don't need to ask. I'm just going to go there and say, hey, is there a way you could put me up at one of those hotels near the ocean? And by the way, can I get insurance and a job? Well, not a job, but money so I can feed myself while I'm enjoying this great country of Mexico? I have a feeling that I would get locked up, put in a cell, beat the bejesus out of me and uh nobody would be reporting about it but for some reason anybody wants to come to the united states if you question it somehow you're a racist or you're you're uh you a xenophobe and you don't care about the poor immigrants to this country my mother immigrated my dad immigrated here in the 20s legally it took him three years to become a citizen he worked he got a job he had a relative that helped him then he married in the 50s, my, brought my mom over. She still had to go through the process to become a citizen, learn English, learn the Constitution, swear an oath to America. And then she was able to get a, you know, whatever they needed. 
what happened to that process? Brian, did you come in? Uh, were you born here and you just kind of settled in? We don't know anymore, right? From who's a citizen, a legal citizen, and who's I not. Know, I know he was born here. I remember when he was born here. I was at the hospital the day he was born. I, I had the good fortune of being born into the greatest country in the world. Um, I, I think That's I think there's a couple uh, things to talk about here. First, I, I think everyone needs to acknowledge that. Uh, immigration is the backbone of this country. We get the greatest talent throughout the world. And part of the reason the U.S. succeeds is because the best people anywhere in the world want to be here. You succeed in your own country, you want to come here. Even if you're the top of your country, you come here to be middle class and it's still better. So that, that's kind of the first piece that we need to realize. It's like, we are better. As much as we think, you know, there's all this division in this country and, and there's all these things wrong between the Democratic and Republican parties. People still want to come here through and through. People from Asia, people from Mexico, regardless. So I think with that in mind, then, then we kind of have to look at the, the two different kind of types of immigration and how we facilitate that. So one, we, we have a huge, as you guys talked about, a huge influx of people from the Southern board who come up. They actually work the fields throughout all of the South during the you know, harvest season in the US. And that's incredibly important because we don't have the labor force to do that here. So the question isn't really whether or not we should have these people in or how to get them in. They come anyways and we need them anyways, as you both said. So it's really about revamping the United States government and bringing a more modern approach and digitizing all these different things. You should be able to easily apply online, you know, provide your information, say what you're going to do, and we should let you in, and you should be able to go. And then this comes on the other side, where one of the greatest resources of the United States is our institutions, our, you know, Harvard, Yale, all the way down, the state colleges, our colleges and universities are a huge drawing point for people throughout the world. That's why the smartest people throughout the world come here, is to study at yeah, our but, universities. But Brian, I listen, the huge draw for me at a candy store is I want to go in and get the candy, but I got to pay for it. I can't just walk in there and take it. These these people that are coming in, uh, you know, it used to be that before you could come into this country, you had to show that you would not be a burden on the country as an immigrant, that you had a sponsor, somebody to take care of you. And they had to be able to check your background. I, you know, the Democrats, when they were in power, they could have corrected all this. But they never did. They did absolutely nothing about it. And then I, tr I think Trump screwed it all up with his really ridiculous uh, rhetoric that distorted everything, played to emotions. And now we're not looking at the real issues. Now it's like, oh, you don't like them because they're Mexican or they're coming from Asia or, you know, they made it into a racial thing. And it's not. I think you hit the nail on the head. We do need immigrants, but they should come in migrants, all of them should come in in a legal process, right? Agreed, agreed. That's that's why I think where the, the modernization comes in here. We, we have all these people who come in, get a degree at one of our universities, and then leave. And it's not because they want to leave most of the time. It's because they don't have the visas or no U.S. company wants to sponsor an application of a visa. It's a why lot of work. It's a lot colleges? of overhead. Why are they in our colleges? I mean, seriously, why? what... Can because I go to the, full tuition? That's why yeah. they're in our colleges. So we, because of the money, we'll allow an exception to the immigration rule 
um, just because they'll do that. I mean, I, I know that if you were an well, immigrant, it's, it's not immigration, you joined the military. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's just a, a couple. It, it's momentary, right? But you have to leave. You're required six months after you graduate from a U.S. college to leave unless you get an H-1B visa through some company you get hired from. And the amount of paperwork and different hoops you have to jump through, it isn't feasible for anything other than the big giants, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, to actually help you apply for these things and get you over. So these people end up leaving the system. And we got this momentary you know, dollar influx as they pay their tuition the four years, but we lose it after that. And we need to invest in that human capital rather than just taking the money and running with it, like we do in so many other things in the government. These all, all, we, all those people have to do, though, is go back to their country, somehow make it to Mexico, walk across the border, turn themselves into the border uh, patrol. And before you know it, they'll have a work permit and they can get that job that they couldn't get when they graduated from the university. And, and well, I know from people that I've talked to that the numbers that we hear are far below what the reality is. So the Democrats currently, in this polarized world, the Democrats are playing down the numbers and arguing about the morality of helping people in need. They're not talking about the process. They're not telling us the truth. As you pointed out, Bill, the Democratic Party is built on social services and helping people in need. And the, generally, when you talk about Republicans, you're talking about building businesses, getting people to work. So you're right. When an immigrant comes in or a migrant comes in, there's probably an 85 percent chance that they're going to vote Democratic and they want those votes. That's why they want them to come into Texas, a Republican state or Arizona or these southern states. And that's why the governors there are sending them up to Chicago where we, you know, welcome them, you know, but we don't need their votes. The Democrats here don't need their votes. This is a Democratic state. Well, what do you guys think about the, the sh essentially shipping of these, these immigrants up, up to, you know, Martha's Vineyard, Chicago, and, and these different cities? They claim to be sanctuary cities, but they seem all up in arms about the, the human rights violations and all these separate things. Well, Martha's Vineyard was a, a sanctuary area. It took them less than 48 hours to ship those immigrants out that got dropped on their doorstep over there. They shipped them right out to a different uh, location. They didn't want any part of them. But, you know, these immigrants, you know, I feel sorry for them, okay? Uh, yeah, we many, all do. Many of them are coming out. A large portion of them now are coming out of Venezuela, Cuba, okay, and Nicaragua. What do those three countries have in common? Communist leaders? Absolutely. Right. They may say that they're socialists. They may say they're agrarian reformers, but they really believe in Karl Marx's philosophy. Okay. Uh, they're coming in. Those are, the, those are the three countries that are now supplying the largest number of illegal immigrants on our border. Uh, I, I know I'm all over the map on this, but I... No, 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 you're not. You're making a good point. Well, here's something I heard just the other day, which I was shocked at. There, there is a woman who is from Colombia. She came here as an immigrant, okay? She went to school here, got a law degree from Columbia University, okay? Got elected to the legislature in New York State. So she is a state legislator in New York State. 
she was on a TV program. She was being interviewed about these Republican governors shipping people north to Chicago, New York, et cetera, okay? And she said, the reason that we have so much immigration here now is because the United States sticks their nose in to so many countries in Central and South America. Now, how can someone who came here as an immigrant, is an elected public official, is a lawyer, say that about the country that took her in and gave her this opportunity? It's just incredible to me. And I'm sure she's not alone. I'm sure there's others. No, this is, this is a new wave kind of ideology that's being adopted by a lot of people. It's basically saying, you know, the U.S.'s problems aren't due to, you know, the rest of the world inflicting harm upon it, but rather it enforcing on the rest of the world, you know, different things. This is part of this whole, you know, taking down statues. It's part of taking down statues, renaming. It's the same, same philosophy. It's this idea of you break down the fundamental structure of what built this country, claim that everything it's done since its inception to now has been wrong, and then you argue against it, even though you came here in the first place. It, it doesn't logically make sense, but people make this argument that, you know, because the U.S. had different, you know, overthrew different regimes and the CIA might have had, you know, different, you know, strikes and different, you know, objectives in South America, that now we're to blame for those issues in those countries, which is just absurd. Well, what, what we've seen happen is that uh, issues like this have been weaponized and I think mostly by the Democrats, to make an argument that fits with their bigger agenda, that they want to change things. They want th This is about politics. It's never been about caring about immigrants. It's never been about, for the Democrats, I'm saying, they don't care about the immigrants. They don't care about the migrants because when they were in control, what did they do? So I don't, when they say, oh, we care about them, I'm saying, you know, people have been in office for 20 years talking about immigrants, never got anything done under Democratic administrations. This is purely politics. They've weaponized it and they've used the emotion as a shield and the accusation that when you bring it up and discuss it in a rational way, somehow that's racist or that's, you know, xenophobic or you're just uncaring. We care about immigrants, all, all of us. We want immigrants to come to this country. I would just like to know that they have a good background, what their intent is. Are they, do they, are they coming here because they want to be Americans? Or are they coming here just because they think, oh, let's just get the money and you know we'll do whatever we want? Yeah, uh, exactly. And on that point, let me circle back to something we had talked about earlier. And I want to challenge the idea. Uh, you guys were arguing that all of these people coming into this country are going to vote Democrat. And then you said, well, I said you know, the, majority, the, ma the majority, the majority, the majority. And I said what the Democratic Party believes. OK, because right. I don't believe that that's the case. OK, because because my argument here is if you actually look at, you know, a city like Miami, which is a huge Cuban immigrant population, they vote overwhelmingly Republican. And why is that? Because of communism in Fidel Castro and the punishment of that not letting them succeed. So the question is, is this an opportunity for the Republican Party to have a standing of, we actually need to start letting these people in. It, the, the Republican Party needs to just be, instead of no, no immigrants, which it had been under Trump and was not well-written, they should rather shift their policy to be a net positive and say, 
we should accept these people in as long as we revamp the entire system. So what you say well, is, I, hey, look, immigration is two centuries old in the sense that that's how we do immigration here. We, we don't have anything digital. We don't have any sign up. You should be able to go to an embassy in your home country, apply and hear within four to six weeks whether or not you can come here. And that's something the Republicans can do, increase the workforce and, and build America forward. Yeah, but Brad, if how we many want, of those people would know how to use a computer to do that? I think you're underestimating how, how many people would be able to use a computer to do that. I don't think that's that hard. And if anything, yeah. you have people at these embassies or other places uh, basically filling out the forms for them, you know? Well, that, that, and, and these people, the people we want anyways are the young people who know how to do this. Like we want people my age to immigrate here because they're going to build lives here, you know, build homes, build families, all these different things. Well, the, the Cuban, this listen, actually the, selects the people we want anyways. The, the Cuban example has flaws, but I think that if they could address those flaws, because we've seen all the stories about say hello to my little friend, the Cuban mafia that came in, the drugs that came in with that. The model though for Cuba is different from every other country. And that's why the Republicans are able to dominate that in Miami because they are against Cuba and they want to save those people from Cuba. We're not against Mexico. We are not against Asia. We're not against a lot of these places where they're coming from. It isn't about the politics of it, but if they apply that Cuba principle to every country, I'd say, yeah, we want to save the people in Mexico from being oppressed and by, you know, some of the tyranny that is down there and the corruption. I'd say, yeah, let's have a program to help them. But Cuba and Miami is the really, I think, an exception to the rule yeah, when we talk real, about this issue. I believe the real reason that the Cubans in uh, Miami are Republicans is because any Cuban that had two nickels to rub together when Castro took over, either got chased out or left because they were afraid that they were gonna be killed. It was not the poor people. It was the upper class for the most part and the upper middle class that came to this country. And yes, they are Republicans because the Republicans are anti-communist. And those people, even amazing. I mean, those people have been here a long time. The original people that came from Cuba to Miami, you know, that they, they probably now have you know, I'm sure they have grandchildren here. Okay, maybe even great-grandchildren. But somehow they managed to keep that attitude towards Cuba and communism. You know, and yeah, I, I, them to be in the Republican Party. But that's- I that, put the Cuban- Go ahead. I was gonna say, I put the Cuban migrants in that 15% that votes Republicans. I still believe that 85% of migrants and immigrants end up going to, you know, identify with, the need for support, financial assistance from the government, education from the government, jobs from the government, or taking putting them in homes from the government. I think the Democratic Party has made it real clear that they want to do that to bring them in, and I think that's how they become voters. But I'll tell you what, the Hispanic vote for the Democratic Party is continuing to shrink. The more educated the Hispanic people here get, the better jobs they get, the more and more they become Republican because so much of the Republican philosophy is the same philosophy that these Mexican people have. 
And I, I call them Mexican people because there's a difference between the Mexicans, the Nicaraguans, the, the Guatemalans, et cetera. Uh, and I think that, you know, the Republican Party, if they don't mess it up, is going to have a very large section of the Mexican community voting in their behalf each and every year. If they could work this the, the proper way. And, and for those people out there who are watching and are criticizing us right now, saying, why are you singling out Mexicans? Why are you singling out immigrants? We are all supportive of people coming here. Our doors are open to them. We just are talking about the process of how they come here, not who's coming here, not stop. Obviously, if you're a good citizen person uh, with a good background, uh, you're not involved in the drug trade. We want you. That's what we want. But unfortunately, these criminals see how open our borders are and they take advantage and exploit it. So I, I would just like All to right. one thing that Brian said, and I think it's very, very important. These people come here, they get an education. And instead of us enabling them to stay here, to work in behalf of this country, because they want to, you know, we force them to go back because we do not have enough of those visas. And, you know, we can create as many of those visas as we want to. It's entirely up to the House and the Senate. There's not an infinite number that we can have. You know, we could double it, we can triple it, we could quadruple it. That would be the smart thing to do. Just recently, I was at a graduation of engineering students at the University of Illinois. And Brian and I sat there, watched these students come by. And occasionally we would say, now, are we in America? Or we are, are we in China? Because there were so many people of Chinese heritage graduating as engineers. I'd like to know how many of them would like to stay here and how many of them are gonna get the opportunity. Not many, I don't think, will get the opportunity. When I went into the military, one of the criteria was um, that if, for example, if I had um, the qualifications to go into the uh, officer corps, one of the requirements was that they would put you through school, but you'd have to stay in this country to do it. You'd have to return the service here. We don't impose that. We should. We should tell people that if you're going to come to this country to get an education, that there should be a process in which you agree to spend your time here to take this education, unless there's, you specifically say, I wanna use this education to help my people, say it up front. At least we should know that. Hey, I don't think it's a problem. The problem is these people, so many of these people wanna stay, but they can't stay because they can't get the visa to stay because we curtail the number of visas that we put out for students such as this. That's a mistake. Why, why don't why don't we just say, hey, here's your graduation. Go down to the southern border and enter there because we'll get all the support for you that you need. I already all right. Can. Anyway, go ahead. And the final thoughts on this from anybody else, Brian, Bill, I'm, I'm and then we'll, we'll talk about the polling. No, I, I agree with that 100 percent. We should make it so anyone who wants to be a part of this country can be. It gets rid of a lot of the complaints that, you know, People say, oh, they rush across the border. They, they do these things because our immigration system is broken. Yeah, it's broken. It's two centuries old. We keep things on paper. We, we don't have a formal process. The world has moved online. Uh, immigration should too. Apply, give All us right. your information, then we know who you are. Yeah, well, I right, Brian, you brought- During the colonial war, we had to write down you know, why we wanted to become <laughs> American citizens. Uh, that's funny. Brian, you uh, had a topic, uh, you were looking at some polling. 
that was done about the November elections and the future of the House and the Senate. What, what is that all about? Yeah, so I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of paint the picture of where we're at now and, and leave a couple ideas and maybe we can expand upon that. So the, the current polling, you know, 538 is a, a polling resource that kind of bundles all the different polls together and gives you some kind of average, some kind of thought. And based on their projections right now, the Republicans have a seven in 10 chance of taking the House. And then the Democrats have a seven in 10 chance of retaining the Senate. So what it looks like most likely now in most scenarios is we have a split Congress. We have House controlled by the Republicans and uh, the Senate controlled by the Democrats, which is very interesting. And, and the momentum isn't going the way you usually expect in midterm elections. Since basically the New Deal, there have been th three midterm elections where the sitting president hasn't lost a significant amount of seats. Bush in 2002, shortly after 9-11, there's a huge swell for Republicans, which makes sense. There was after 1998, Clinton, right around the impeachment, he actually gained a few seats there. And then right after the uh, Kennedy staved off the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis in 62, they won seats there for the Democrats. And here we're looking to be in a scenario where we could also have a scenario where the Democrats win back the House, where a president has a 53% disapproval rating. Most people don't like where the country is heading, and most people don't like the job he's done on the economy. So we, we're in this interesting scenario now where the you know enthusiasm for the Republican Party has evaporated, and the Roe v. Wade overturning has kind of ignited this you know hope in the party, even though they don't really have much hope in their president. Now, why is it though that the uh, I agree with you. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, has had a significant impact on this election. I believe that's why the Republican margin has been cut down significantly in the House. And I believe that's why the Democrats are now favored to pick up a few seats in the Senate, even though Brian had pointed out earlier off the air that those Senate races are awfully close. They're within two or three points. But yep. I think once again, the Republicans have gotten into a situation where they, are, they just are laid back. If they would be out campaigning on inflation, on crime, talking about those things, I think that they could turn the tide. Now, and I also believe that, you know, abortion is a very emotional issue. And I think when the decision first came down, there was tremendous opposition to it by an awful lot of the country. I think the closer we get to election, the further away we get from that decision, the less and less emotion there will be on the part of people who are so upset about that. And that will be the Republicans' opportunity to stress the tremendous increase in inflation and the crime that is going on. Uh, you know, that's the way I think that they can win this. I, I got two, two perspectives on this. One is that I think uh, the abortion issue, you're absolutely right. When it came out gangbang, you know, in a, a gangbusters um, to push the politics towards the shifting it from the right back to the left in a in a uh, off, you know, midterm election where the party out of office 
ends up taking the House and the Senate. And in so many instances over the years, we've seen it. And But I think that there's been a recent pushback against that um, on the issue of crime. Republic, you can hear the Republicans talking about uh, Illinois and the Safety Act. Uh, Republicans talking about not enough is being done. So I think what we're seeing is the Republicans pushing the need to fight crime and the Democrats pushing the, you know, the unfairness of, uh, you know, uh, uh, eliminating Roe v. Wade and uh, curtailing, you know, the uh, uh, abortion. But on the other hand, I think that uh, um, I think that this 528 and forgive me, Brian, I'm not criticizing you, but you know, when I, I just went to the website and right away at the top right, it's like part of ABC News. And, you know, I, they're probably the better of all the mainstream media. But then I'm looking at the stories and they're all kind of slanted toward the Democrats. What's behind the Democrat improvement in our congressional forecasts? A positive about how they're gaining. What will the midterms uh, determine if a Wisconsin abortion law stays? you know, in the 1800s. That's negative toward the Republicans. Why can't Republicans agree on new abortion restrictions? And why are Senate candidates, meaning mostly Republicans, avoiding debates? And, you know, so we don't see any objective polling. And I'm skeptical about this, you know, poll. I think it's a great topic. I just wouldn't trust them. And I don't know if we have a, a, a polling system because we all know polls can be skewered any way you want based on how you write the questions. When is the last time a presidential poll actually predicted the winner of the presidential election, other than the last one where it was Biden and Trump? Prior to that, I don't know, they predicted Hillary Clinton was going to win in the landslide, and that did not turn out to be true. And I think you'll have to go back an awful long way to find out where the polls you know, we're really accurate. Well, so not to defend 538, because they, they are certainly a leaning entity. But I mean, so Nate Silver is the guy who runs 538. He's a statistician, mostly. And he's on um, uh, ABC every uh, Sunday morning. George yep, Stephan. Yeah. Yes. So he, he's a he's program I never watch. A program I never watch. Go ahead. Oh, George uh, but these are statistics, right? This is basically statistic probability and probability theory and things like that. And while it would predict, right, at the end of the day, you know, it predicted Hillary, they predicted Hillary, they predicted Biden, um, they predicted Obama twice. They're overwhelmingly right. And not just are they overwhelmingly right, they're very much usually in the middle of the outcome band, right? everything is normally distributed when you look at statistics. So there's, you know, something directly in the middle and that's what we'll say is the prediction, right? And then there's the bands and there's some bands that like ended up in the Trump. So, you know, 538 predicted Hillary to win in, you know, 94%, I think, or 93% of outcomes. But there's a 7% where they said, oh, there, it's possible. It's not like they said it was 100% to zero, right? And that's where that polling comes in. And kind of the misconception. And then you have to add in the question mark of, you know, Trump polls, what, four or 5% worse than he does on election day. And the question is, do these Trump backed people have the same margin? And are they able to get people out at the same rate? 
so that these, you know, coin flip Senate races are actually Republican favorite. If you add in the Trump, you know, four point slant that we were seeing in polls from the past four years. So that's the major yeah. thing to, to kind of look forward I, to. I think Trump is problematic for reelection. I think he's going to have some problems, but I think the whole country has a problem, as we've talked about many times, that we really don't have two good candidates who can identify with the constituency that needs it in the center. But I still tell you, it comes down to how you can spin a poll. People do it all the time. And then they apply the data and the statistics to the results to make it look good. And I am just not going to trust it. I think the pushback with crime against Roe v. Wade, that'll be interesting to see how far each goes to uh, result in the House. So it is going to be an interesting election in the House and Senate. All I know is a man who has the courage to wear a Detroit Tiger baseball cap on television, uh, predicting the poll results that he predicts is a man of great courage. <laughs> that would be Nate All right. Thanks. All right. Any, fi <laughs> any final thoughts on, the, uh, on this topic? That's a great topic you brought up, Brian. Any final thoughts? Uh, uh, go ahead, Brian. Well, one, one small thing which is interesting that's also been seen is the, in the polling is the economy is not the number one concern for a lot of people, nor is Roe v. Wade. The number one concern for a lot of people is the kind of assumed disconnect between the Republican and Democrat Party, the, the unity of the nation, you know, questions around that area is number one. So the, the idea is, who does that actually favor? And I don't actually know who. Because you could write that, you know, it favors the Democrats because Trump is, you know, pulling the two countries apart. But on the uh, same side, the Republicans would argue the other side. So who does that favor and what does that matter? And how does that, you know, inform your vote? What does that actually tell you? So I, that, I, that'll be an interesting thing. I can't thing. believe that that's the number one issue. Uh, I don't uh, think enough people uh, in this country, unfortunately, that pay close enough attention to what's going on in this country or what's going into politics, to have that position, being afraid the country is being pulled apart by this stuff. I, I, I cannot. So to Ray's point, then, you can say the people who probably think about that the most are the most interested in politics. Oh, yes. And yeah. will be the most likely to respond to these polls, right? So we're probably oversampling the engaged portion of the population, which is generally probably very concerned about this. Whereas, you know, most Americans probably care a lot more about the economy and the 8% year over year inflation. So we'll have to see how that plays out. If Biden had gotten up and given a speech two weeks ago, truly trying to unify the country, I'd say, wow, you're absolutely right. But he didn't do that. And I know that he's no different than Trump when it comes to exploiting the polarization, making it wider because you want those votes. It's all about politics. Yes, but he, he cured the, co the covert. Didn't he announce yeah, that he, it was over with? Yeah. Well, what was his quote? I, I, the COVID <coughs> pandemic <coughs> is over. <coughs> yeah, it didn't go over too well with people. I, on both sides of the, the aisle, I think that that was not a smart move on his part. It just doesn't ring true. So anyway, only for the third time, he also said that we'll fight to protect Taiwan. We will send American <laughs> troops. You know, he made sure he said men and women. 
because he wants equal opportunity. <laughs> he needs that equal opportunity. All right, I'm Ray Hanania. This is Bill Lipinski, a fellow I'm American. Number I'm broken. All right, and this has been another episode of Two Guys on Politics. We're shifting over to Tuesdays and uh, from Thursdays, and uh, we will talk to you next Tuesday. But thank you for listening and watching. We And we want to hear from you. So uh, I'll make sure that there's a link to our emails. Um, we'll get uh, Brian's email and Bill's email and my email. I'll put it up there. If you want to tell us what you think, we want to hear back from you. So thank you. Definitely. Thanks, guys. All right.